this morning. I titled it The Race of Faith. And basically what I want to do is share with you that we're all in this race, a race of faith or a race of life. And in this race, we can either be running really well and doing really well, or we can be running a little slower, or we could be, what, slowed down by a number of things. But the most important thing in any race, and in this race of life, is that we finish well. Remember the saying? It says, it's not how you start, but how you finish that's really important. And that's true in the Christian life. You know, we've all started, we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, but it's really important that we carry that on and we finish that race until the end. You know, throughout the Bible, illustrations and comparisons you know, are drawn between our lives and an athletic race. If you know the Bible and you study the Bible for a certain period of time, you know the importance of finishing well is emphasized, is really emphasized throughout Scripture. You know, you just need to look at the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, and throughout the epistles, throughout the letters, you know, the epistles in the New Testament, Paul always uses this example of an athlete and finishing well. Let me just give you a few examples, a few scriptures of what Paul, when he refers to an athlete and a race. Let me begin when he first was speaking to the believers at Corinth. You know, at Corinth, when he's speaking to believers, this is what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So right away, Paul established we need to run a race that what? So we can win it and we can obtain that prize. Again, speaking to the believers at Philippi, what did Paul say in Philippians 3.14? I press toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, emphasizing he's pressing forward, right? And going for that prize. And speaking to the elders at the church of Ephesus, at the church of Ephesus, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 24, this is what Paul said. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was Paul's focus, right? Run the race well, finish it well. Because what did he say to Timothy? As we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, a very strong scripture that many of us recite and we say when we want to think about how our own lives, what our lives, we want to model our lives after. This is what Paul said to Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his praying. To all of us. I think that's our same goal, right? To finish that race the way Paul finished that race. But how do we run the race? How do we run the race? How are we doing in the race is a better question. I know all of us start really well, like a sprint. But remember, the Christian life is like a marathon. It's a marathon. And you got to keep in mind, what are the things we need to do to keep staying in the race and moving forward? Well, I'm going to look at a little bit of scripture this morning. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, 
verses 1 through 4. So let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 12. And let's look at these few verses and give us insight on how we can run this race. Just a little background to Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is unknown. Scholars have not been able to agree on who the author of Hebrews is. Many of them think it's the Apostle Paul just because of the manner it was written and the things that it says. But in spite of whoever wrote it, we know that the book of Hebrews was written specifically for a group of people. And that group of people were Jewish believers that had just come to know Christ. Jewish believers that are what? Had been following Judaism and had been following all the rituals that go along with being a Jew. When the author writes this book, he really emphasizes the superiority of Christ over the Judaic system. The author is saying there's more to be gained in Christ than to be lost in Judaism. Those practices that you no longer do, do not worry about them, as long as you have Christ. As long as you have Christ. This really speaks to me when you think about religion and what religion sometimes asks. But really, it's all about Christ, right? It's all about a relationship. In chapter 12, the writer exhorts the believer, encourages the believers to not grow weary and to continue in the faith. Run this race and finish it well. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe in your race, you're feeling a little weary. Maybe you're a little tired. Maybe you're thinking, oh, can I continue on? Can I continue on? My message this morning is let's continue on by faith. Let's stay strong in the Lord. Let's continue the race and finish it well. Let me read verses 1 and 2, chapter 12 of Hebrews, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's get a little bit more into those first two verses and break them down a little bit. When he says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's referring to, when he says, therefore, he's referring to chapter 11. Chapter 11. Whenever you see therefore, remember, it refers to what did I previously say or what have I said? prior to this. In this case, he's referring to chapter 11, who in chapter 11, they were giving examples of people that had been of what? Great faith. People that had been faithful to the Lord. Often that chapter is called the heroes of faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those that really God spoke to. But what's important is that they bear witness. They bear witness to God. And how he can guide us through great adversity. Think of all their stories. Many of you have heard their stories of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. What did Abraham do? He was faithful. What? He was taking Isaac to be sacrificed because he was faithful to God. So you have many examples of like those stories in chapter 11. I know when we trust God by faith, we're doing something that God asked us to do. When you look at anything that we do, we need to look at the Word of God. And what is the word of God say and tell us to do. Well, Hebrews is a great example because right at the beginning of the 
chapter, chapter 11 in Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, without faith, we need to have faith to please God. Because we know throughout Scripture, right, throughout the epistles, what does the Apostle Paul tell us? Like in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Walking by faith is always encouraged. Going back to verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Again, as we think of this race, this race of life that we're in, we're reminded to what? Lay aside or remove anything, every weight, that would hold us down or keep us from finishing the race. And to stay away from any sin that could easily ensnare us to trap or trip us. You know, as we look at this passage, and I was thinking of this, and we need to be honest with ourselves. What are the weights that can hold us back or sins which ensnare us? I like this definition of the words easily ensnare us. It is based on a Greek word, which is called euberistado, and can be translated four different ways. Four different ways this can be translated. It can be translated those sins that are what? Easily avoided. Those sins that are admired or things that are admired. Those things that are ensnaring or those things that are dangerous to us. I like the way one commentator put this as he reviewed this portion of scripture. He said, our choices, our choices are not always between right and wrong, but between something they may hinder us and something else that may not. Is there a weight in your life you must lay aside? Really, for each of us, it's a question we have to answer honestly to ourselves and most importantly to God. What are the weights that hinder us? What are the things that can e- we can easily avoid, just stop doing? Or more importantly, the ones that can be ensnaring or dangerous. To, we know this will hurt us in our walk, in our race, right? How are we going to keep running if we're holding on to these weights or these things? And I know many of us, and if you're like me, I looked at this. Okay, well, things are right or wrong are pretty simple. That's right. That's wrong, right? And we know sin, missing the mark, falling short. But when he talks about what things that we admire, we have to be honest with ourselves. And there's probably things that we do or have that may not be the things that we need to be focused on, that may be hampering us in our walk. I like what the great Bible teacher and commentator Warren Wordsby said about this passage. And just in summarizing, he said, I'm reminded of a, a saying I once heard, and this is the saying he once heard. A winning athlete does not choose between the good and the bad. He chooses between the better and the best. So I ask you the question, what is the better and the best for you in your race? Let's go back to verse 1 in chapter 12. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, the word endurance used here is the ancient Greek word hupomene, which does not mean the patience which sits down and accepts things, but the patience which masters them. It's a determination, unhurrying and undelayed, which goes steadily on 
and refuses to be deflected. Do we have that kind of determination? Do we have that kind of endurance? Do we have that kind of patience? Because remember, as I shared the verse earlier when I started, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, when Paul said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. I like this word race when you look at the word and its definition. You know, in the Greek, the word grace is agona. It's a word used for conflict or struggle of many kinds. And it's really a favorite word of Paul. He uses it many times when he referred to his own struggles. Remember the struggles of Paul? I mean, we have so many examples. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was jailed. But look what Paul said, for example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. What did he say? But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Even through all these things, he was still bold, right? We still preached the gospel of God. So, again, God has put a race before us all, right? A struggle. We've got to run it with endurance, patience. And sometimes, honestly, it involves we trip, we fall, but we have to get up again, right? We have to get up again, and we can't be deterred by that. But knowing that God wants us to run this race and to finish it well, we can run it because we know he's with us, right? He's always with us. He'll never leave us. Remember, again, in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is a really good book because we're at it's encouraging those Jewish believers. They were becoming weary. What does it say in Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verse 16? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Maybe you're in that time of need right now in your race so we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Again, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. On that race, God is always with us. We can always look to God wherever we are in that race. So how do we run the race and how do we finish it well? Well, let's look again to verse 2 because he's going to give us instruction here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I think the key right here is said in the first three words, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. The word looking in the Greek is a verb that means you look away from anything else. You just keep your eyes fixed on one thing, Christ. This is really important about when you run a race, we always look for what? The ultimate goal. I, when I used to run away, what is it going to look like when I come to that finish line? I can't wait to see that finish line and cross that finish line. You know, the New Living Translation of this verse says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus. Whatever you're going through this morning, wherever you're at in your race, fix your eyes on Jesus. I like what Charles Spurgeon, remember the great preacher Charles Spurgeon? He said, looking unto Jesus means life, light, guidance, encouragement, joy. Never cease to look on him who ever looks on you. 
He's always looking at us. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's all-powerful, and he's all-knowing. So he's always with us. A little simple story here that I read, and one of the commentaries really kind of illustrates this whole idea of keeping our eyes or looking to Jesus. It's a story about a man with a guide on a little trip. Let me read to you this story. It says, Many years ago, a man hired an experienced guide to lead him on a hike into the Swiss Alps. After many hours, they came to a high and remote mountain pass. To the man's dismay, he saw that the path had almost been washed out. What could he do? To the left was sheer rock cliff. To the right was a precipice that dropped nearly a thousand feet. Looking down, the man felt his head growing faint and his knees beginning to to buckle. And at that very moment, his guide shouted to him, Do not look down or you are a dead man. Keep your eyes on me. And where I put my feet, put yours there as well. The man did as he was instructed, and soon he passed from danger to safety. We, too, like this man, need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because what? When he kept his eyes on Jesus, that was life. He was saved. Each of us will counter times in our life where we won't know which way to go, but we need to look to Jesus for guidance and strength and direction. So I ask again, are you focused on Jesus today? Are you focused on Jesus this morning? You know, throughout Scripture, we know these Scriptures. I'm saying things that you guys have heard many times, and you shared even yourselves with each other. But in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, what does it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. For we know when we do that, we know when we do that, what will happen. Again, in Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And in Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordained by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Going back to verse 2, the author and finisher of our faith. The text here gives us a wonderful motivation when it says Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. This means at least three things. And these are just really basic things that I'm going to share with you that many of you have heard many times. But let me share them again because they're so important and they're foundational to what we believe. First, Christ laid the foundation for our faith by his death and resurrection. He made our salvation possible. God made our salvation possible when he sent his son to die for us, right? Because... What do we know? And these are just some key verses that when we share the gospel, many of us have learned. Second Corinthians 5, 24, 21, I'm sorry. He said, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his great love for us, and that we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And the one that most of us Know from our early age, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And lastly, John eleven twenty five, When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life, 
Even though you be dead, yet you shall live, trusting in him. So, first, he laid the foundation for our faith, right? Secondly, he provided the perfect example for us to follow. In that what? He trusted God perfectly. Jesus trusted God perfectly. Because what does it say in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us, with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Even when Christ was tested. Remember in the wilderness, in the book of Matthew, we read chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. And when it says, The devil took him up in the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over it, and in their hands you shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. But what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said to him, It is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Christ yielded up his human will to the perfect will of the Father, what did he say in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will, yours be done. No one was ever tested like Jesus, and no one ever passed the test like him. That's why he is such a great example. And third and lastly, he gives us the faith we need when we feel like quitting. Many times the race gets hard for us. <laughs> we get tired. But this is when we need to really have faith in God. And this faith is also a gift from God, this faith that we have when we trust God as our Lord and trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But again, how does this faith come? How does this faith come? Part of it comes from what we're doing right now this morning. Because what do we read in Romans chapter 10, verse 17? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing by the word of God. Philippians 4.13, because we know we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? And we also know, Philippians 4.19, that God and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So, going back to verse 2, going back to verse 2 of chapter 12, he is the finisher of our faith. Remember, this race started with us coming to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. We started that race, and we want to finish that race well. But God is really interested in that we finish that race well, and he will continue to be with us. Because what does it say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6? Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a work, good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We can have confidence in that, that he'll complete this work. Going back to the verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus looked beyond the cross to the joy that would be experienced in redeeming mankind and enabling us to have a relationship with the living God. Again, remember, as I said earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we can become the righteousness of God in him. You know, we often experience great pain for great game. I asked the question, if many of you probably go to the gym and you work out really hard, and maybe through the years or sometime you've heard the saying, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain, right? 
No pain, no gain. I mean, you need to work harder, and that's you'll gain muscle strength. But let me share you some things that I learned as I studied more. Here are some sayings as it relates to us as Christians in this race, in our work. Let me share. No suffering, no glory. No suffering, no glory. No cross, no crown. No tears, no joy. We need to keep our eye on the prize. We all like the empty tomb, but first we, may, we must die to this flesh, right? We must die to this flesh to rise again. You know, when we go through trials and tribulations, you know, we remember that God is with us. You know, throughout Scripture, we're encouraged, you know, when we go through trials and tribulations. You know, in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Remember that endurance? But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Going back to the verse, despising the shame, being crucified on the cross was a great shame, but Jesus withstood it on our behalf. He loves us and was willing to withstand the ridicule, mocking, and torture that came with being crucified. What are we willing to stand, withstand when it comes to standing up for Christ? Every day, Christians are mocked. Every day, we're made a fun of. Every day, the things that we think, the things that we believe are just put aside. The world doesn't think of that. But we need to stand as Christ did when he was shamed and he was mocked. Sitting at the right hand of God, going back to the verse, sitting at the right hand of God, this speaks to the glorification of Christ. Sitting at the right hand of God, the Father, he has been exalted, exalted to the ultimate place of honor and gives supreme authority over the entire universe. You know, in Psalm 68, verse 18, You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received the gifts among men, even from the rebellious. The Lord God might dwell there. Speaking of Jesus and his position now. You know, the Apostle Paul, again, throughout the epistles, speaks about our position in Christ. You know, Pastor Joe's been the last month or so speaking on the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, we see a lot of reference into our position in Christ in the heavenly places. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we know we have a place in the heavenly places with Jesus. Let's go on and finish up. Verses 3 and 4, chapter 12 of Hebrews. Chapter, verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. When he says, for consider him who endured such hostility. Again, we are encouraged by Christ and not discouraged when we, encourage, when we encounter the hostilities. We're really following in his footsteps. Many of us heard a father would love a son or daughter. What? To follow in my footsteps. We have the ultimate father that we need to follow in his footsteps. But again, this mocking, again, as I mentioned, remember Jesus endured this mocking in Matthew chapter 26, verses 67 through 68. Jesus was facing the Sanhedrin. What, did the, what happened? 
They spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesize to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? In Matthew 27, verses 29 through 30, what did it say? The Roman soldiers who were crucifying Jesus, what did they do? When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. You know, we did not face that kind of mocking, that kind of treatment. But all of us will face some opposition or some ridicule at some point in our lives as Christians. You know, we need to be prepared for that. and And we cannot be discouraged by that. You know, most of you know that I was a public school teacher and a school administrator, and I was a history teacher. So I love quotes, old quotes from famous people. And I like this quote because it speaks to me regarding hostility and when people oppose you. And it's attributed to the great prime minister of Great Britain during World War II, Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill said this, If you have enemies, be thankful, because this means you stand for something. We stand for something. Every time you're ridicule, we stand for something, and that's important. Going back to the verse, (laughs) verse 3. Lest you become worried and discouraged, the Lord knows that each of us is is going, what each of us is going through at any given time. He's omniscient, remember? He's all-knowing. So we're exhorted to keep this in mind and to persevere. Again, throughout the epistles, the Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Going back to the verse 4 of chapter 12. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. None of us experienced what Christ experienced at the cross and shedding his blood for us. So we have to look at our hardships in this context and not be discouraged. You know, Jesus reminds us our hardships can be endured. Remember John chapter 16, verse 33, was it say, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So, in summary, just to summarize a few things here. As we run the race of faith, I think we need to remember a couple of things. And when we face the trials and tribulations, I think then we need to remember that what? Jesus promised that he would be with us through whatever it may be. But what do we need to do? We need to look to him. We need to go to him. Because what did he say in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30? Come to me. All you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus came to the world, and he came for us.